friends. Hello, it's me, Danny Coco, and welcome back to another episode of Gifted Podcast. Happy Tuesday. Before we get started, if you're feeling generous, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on. I appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Your support is amazing. In today's episode of Gifted, I had the opportunity to interview Karen Mills, who is the most badass woman on the planet. Let's just start with that. She is an all-American basketball player, a comedian, and a cancer survivor. She imparted so much wisdom on me and hopefully on all of you during this conversation that we had. I am so grateful to have had the opportunity to speak with her. She is just, I mean, truly an amazing person. If you want to find her on Instagram, it's at Karen Mills Comedy, and her website is KarenMills.com. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Today, I'm here with Karen Mills. Karen, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Of course. I am so excited to chat about your story because I think it's so unique and your perspective on life is so incredible. I know we've chatted a little bit and just even from the the small conversation we had, getting to hear about the way that you perceive the world and, and your experiences is really, really amazing. So I'd love for you to just kick us off a little bit of background about you, some of your journey, some of your story, and then we'll kind of get right into it. I grew up in a small town, Cleveland, Tennessee, and um, I was always a sports fanatic. My uh, entire family loved sports, and my dad was a pitcher in the Army, and um, he was um, always playing ball with my brother, and then I would get out and shag the balls when he was pitching to him, and he soon realized that um, that I could also play. <laughs> so um, uh, my whole life, early life was centered around sports. I was the only girl and 250 boys in a t-ball league, t-ball league because they didn't have it for girls back then. So um, I've always kind of grown up um, not having a place but creating one. And uh, I was told that I was too short to play basketball. I'm five foot two. But, uh, and in the third grade, I started practicing with the seventh and eighth graders. And even though the coach wouldn't let me scrimmage, Uh, with the girls because he was afraid I would get hurt. I would stay on the uh, sidelines every day after school and just practice ball handling drills. And as it turns out, as I fast forward through high school and college, getting a college scholarship um, and leading the nation in assists, those things that I was forced to do ended up being life opening up opportunities for me because uh, because I got skilled at things that really you know, being 5'2", if I hadn't had those skills, I would have been too short to play basketball. So um, I've always tried to look at life as preparing for today for what will be tomorrow, because you never know what life's going to present you. So you have to do what you can today. And then after uh, after college, I was... um, drafted to play professional, but uh, it wasn't the WNBA at that time. It was the WBL and it was, didn't have the financial backing of the NBA. And so um, the league folded two weeks before I was supposed to report to camp. So wow. that was like a wah, wah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so from, from there, I, I, I just assumed that the next, career path would be to coach. And so that's kind of what I, by default, had prepared for. But I just didn't love coaching the way I love playing. And uh, so I ended up taking a job, uh, being moved to Atlanta, and I floundered for quite a few years. I was a mortgage broker and did different things. 
But every time I would see Johnny Carson in the Tonight Show and he would have a comedian on, I would think, I really believe I could do that. And so finally I got the courage to go to open mic and uh, give it a whirl. And the manager of the club said, I really, you know, you have the stage presence, but you have to learn to write your own material because all I knew how to do was the tell a joke joke. So I took a writing class. And then when I went back to the punchline the next time, he hired me to, to open and it just kind of uh, built from there. And that was 26 years ago. And then uh, in 2013, I went through ovarian cancer and um, my coping skill has always been humor. And so I immediately started to find the humor in cancer. And when I would um, share that on stage and I started being asked to speak at things and to share my story and, um, and it kind of led to a different career path of, um, of speaking. So I probably do now about 50-50 between just straight stand-up comedy and comedy with a message uh, and speaking events. So uh, that's kind of where I am now. And, um, and it, it's just really my life has been blessed in many ways and cancer being one of them. See, I think that's such an incredible perspective and something that you said that I actually want to dive into is even from like an early childhood standpoint, you know, I'm 4'11", so I hear you. And if someone told me that if I was, I'm too short to play basketball, my natural response was to, you know, I have never played basketball, but I think it's so interesting that you took the opposite approach and said, no, I can do this. And I'm just wondering for you, what was that determination and that focus? How did you find that drive to just do it anyway? Uh, well, you know, my parents always really encouraged me and I don't think that, you know, they wouldn't have encouraged me to be a singer if I couldn't sing, but they knew that I had just genetically, I had athletic ability. I mean, uh, I was just God given talent. So they always encouraged me to do that. And I, I can remember uh, one time in high school coming home crying and, and, and just saying, I'm going to quit. The coach says, I'm just too short. I need to give up. And my parents would not have it. And they, and, and she said, just keep working. You know, my dad says, you, you do have the talent. You just have to hang in there. And so I did. And, uh, from, and from then on after that, because I really did, um, I really did start believing in myself more and not what other people said to me. Because you know when you have it in your heart, you know, that can't be measured by how tall you are. Yeah, and, very true. <laughs> and I knew that I had it in me and I knew that I had the skill uh, level. And, you know, I think my coach at that time was trying to make me work harder and, um, and it worked. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's such a, a valuable point too, is that just because someone is telling you you can't do something, that's such a like a short-sighted limiting thing when the reality is like you said if you know you can do it then you know and I think I have to imagine that that level of determination and focus had some sort of tie-in when you were ultimately diagnosed with ovarian cancer because there is that sort of sort of drive in you to just keep going and to just you know stay focused. It is true and I can remember when the uh, my oncologist said uh, came in after the uh, CT scan he said he had he was 98% sure that it was cancer. There was no reason to biopsy it uh, to find out because regardless, the tumors were so large that they had to be removed. So there was no bi biopsy, but he said he was 98% sure. And my re immediate reaction was, okay, so 
what do we need to do? What's the game plan? I want this in my rear view mirror. So we need to get moving on what we're going to do. So I, you know, I just didn't want to sit in that because I did not want that to define me. That in itself is huge because look, I think everyone's done it where something negative happens and that's what you're sitting in and that's sort of what you're wallowing in. And I think it's a skill in itself to not do that, to not just sit and and feel sorry for yourself and obviously to have that moment of grief, but then to be able to do what you've done, which is turn it into a part of your career, I think is phenomenal. Well, thank you. And I, uh, and, and it's true, you have to have, there are moments, and I always tell people this when I'm speaking about it. Sure, that doesn't mean that I thought it was all a big joke and everything was a, you right. know, a laugh a minute. It wasn't, it was hard. And, but it was just a determination to find the levity, to, um, to look for humor. And when I needed to have those days and feel bad, I took them. But then I put one foot back in front of the other and got out of it as soon as possible. Something that you said also earlier that I wanted to dive into is you said, I've been blessed by so many things and, and cancer being one of them. And I would love for you to share more about that perspective because that is you know, even just what we're talking about now, this idea that you can have grief, but it can also be a positive, how you've been able to shift that perspective, how you've been able to see cancer, something that is not this massive negative tragedy, but something that's impacted your life in a way that's maybe a little more positive. Well, you know, as a comedian, it's so much, I come to realize that so much is about ego. You know, if you could go up and you can make the audience laugh, then that said to me that I'm a good comic. And that was feeding my ego. But after I went through cancer and I started speaking at events and people would come up to me afterwards and say, thank you so much. This is the first time I've seen my mother laugh since she was diagnosed or thank you so much for giving me hope. When I started getting that type of feedback from the audience and, and come to realize what an impact it was making on people, my whole perspective shifted. And uh, instead of uh, the laughter being about what I was getting back from the audience, it started being what I was giving. And, um, and, and that really did change my life. Yeah, and I mean, even the career shift that you've talked about too, from going from just doing stand-up to you know, connecting with other cancer survivors, when did you realize that was something that you truly wanted to do? When I was first asked to come speak to, to survivors and uh, tell my story, I told it the way I tell everything, and that is using humor. And I wasn't really sure how well that would be received, to be honest with you. And it was, it was grand. It really was. The people were so appreciative. And I come to realize then that a cancer survivor knows better than anybody how short life is and are willing to laugh. Where I had the bigger trouble with was when I was using it in my stand-up show and the audience got uncomfortable at first and didn't know if it's okay to laugh or not. But when they realized, I found a way to put them at ease about the cancer. And then after comedy shows, people would rush up to me and say, thank you for talking about that. And it brings some levity to a topic that is so difficult. And so then I was able to even transition it into my uh, stand-up. But as far as the comedy with a message, you know, it, it, I don't really know how to tell anything without looking for the humor in it, because that is how I do life. And it was very well received. And I just kept going and building on that. And uh, now I, you know, I, I couldn't, I do an hour talk and it's filled with humor, but also uh, I try to make sure that there's plenty of heart in it as well. 
there's so much to be said for that, I think, because a lot of us, myself included, have negative experiences and, and it's very goes in the box of that was a negative experience, right? And I think it's it's maybe not classifying something as either negative or positive or either a good thing or a bad thing, but there's a, a blend potentially in that for you, it's been an, an additive thing in your life in certain ways, even though it's something that 99% of people would perceive as, as being negative. It's, it's very true. And, and you don't see the blessing the first day, I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I did find out that I had cancer, I, um, I, my first reaction was kind of, why me? But not, why me? Why did I get cancer? It was, why me? What am I supposed to do with this? Wow. Because I felt from the beginning that this is happening because I do have uh, somewhat of a platform that I can help somebody else. And so I always felt from the very beginning that, that this was so I could share my perspective and help others. And that's, I mean, ultimately the way that you hope most people look at situations, but I don't think it is. And I wonder for you how you've been able to develop that mindset, because I think for most of us, that is a struggle to, to turn those, those negative things into an opportunity. So was that something that you've always been able to do or was that you feel like a, a developed skill? I think a little of both. I've always used humor to uh, diffuse anger, to deal with any kind of negative situations, whatever it may be. And uh, then I think it's also uh, a developed skill as well. I mean, I had the background for uh, comedy and and being able to get in front of people and present. Um, So I think the combined skills with kind of how my attitude has always been uh, really helped helped me very much in terms of being able to communicate my feelings and thoughts. And, and, you know, let me just be clear that, you know, there were really, really bad days. And when I first lost my hair, um, I I had chemo once every three weeks. And on that third week is when I felt like doing something, I felt human again. And so uh, some friends of mine were having a get together and they had planned it on that third week so that I would uh, be able to come. And I just lost my hair and I, and this wig that I ordered was horrible. I do. A joke oh, no. about, yeah, yeah. I do a joke about, uh, cancer's taught me so much, like never order a wig on the internet. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I ordered the Jamie Lee Curtis pixie and what they sent me made me look like Joe Pesci from my cousin Benny. But, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but anyway, I had, um, I was trying to get ready to go to this thing and I had, um, the wig was terrible. Um, I couldn't get anything to look right. And, I sat down and I cried and I didn't want to go. And a friend reminded me that your spirit shines through your smile, not your hair. And that changed so much for me. That completely changed my perspective. Just that little shift in perspective can change your outlook completely. That's amazing. And I think, you know, for all of us, it's a valuable lesson that there is a way to look at things that's not always just so singular. And I wonder too, for you, you know, just if I want to backtrack a little bit, where were you at with your comedy career when you discovered you had cancer? I was about 19 years in my comedy career. I was playing theaters and um, occasionally did some um, corporate works. I'd even done some survivor events, but it was more like comedy for a cure, that kind of thing, where it was just, you just did stand up and it was just a fun night that raised money. And, um, so I would, you know, then that hit and, and I immediately transitioned into, because I was already doing some event type things, 
uh, conferences and, and I immediately started sharing my story and um, they had a UT Chattanooga here where I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. They had a, a TEDx talk and I submitted to be a part of the TEDx event and I was selected and my topic was cancer is a laughing matter. And so I got a lot of work from people seeing that talk. And that kind of really uh, transitioned me more fully into rather than just having an occasional, you know, survivor event, comedy for a cause thing to really uh, being a speaker. And I mean, it, it seems like there's just this huge theme in your life. And you can tell me if I'm off the mark here, but with just not being afraid. And I think that's, you know, even when you talk about the first time that you did comedy and walked into a comedy club and from that to then submitting for a TED event when you've been diagnosed with cancer, I think there's just not a lot of fear in your life. There's not a lot of fear when it comes to, um, when it comes to me facing a challenge. Now I have fears, but it's not related to uh, not thinking I can do something. That's huge is that a lot of us are, facing that particular fear of I'm afraid that I'll fail. I'm afraid that people won't like it. I'm afraid that this, this thing that I'm working on, that people won't see it the way that I see it. So I wonder for you, I'm sure some of it's innate, but what that's like, how you push past any hesitation that you might have and just have that fearless attitude. Well, you know, rejection is my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Put that on a t-shirt. That's great. <laughs> because, uh, you know, having done comedy for so many years, I mean, you, you know, back in the, when I started comedy at the punchline, it was a time when comedy was booming. And now an open mic, you might have 20 people at an open mic night. And uh, then it was part of the main show and the, sh and the club would be packed and you would get a true indication of how you were doing. And it wouldn't be like trying to get 12 people to react and see if this material works. But anyway, the point is, um, it was really a great time in comedy and there would be 25 people sign up for open mic night and they would choose seven that would get to go up that night before the feature in the headlining act. And uh, I would go sign up every week. And if my name was on it, I wanted to throw up. And if <laughs> my name wasn't on it, then I wanted to cry. So, <laughs> you're like it, either way it was yeah it, it, it was the craziest thing because I wanted it on it so bad that if my name wasn't on it I was disappointed if my name was on it I'm scared to death but again not focus on being on the stage and being scared of that but first you know get your name on the list get yourself to the green room get yourself to the stage, you know, you, you've got to take the baby steps. And then over time, you know, it was nothing to walk out on the stage. And I, I've just always kind of approached everything like that, you know, do a little bit that will get you closer. That is a great piece of advice that I want to touch on too, is just taking those small little steps. People who listen to this podcast are either trying to start a business or trying to make a career shift. It's a lot of the feedback that I get. And I think that's a huge thing is that you don't have to just totally dive over the cliff. Like it's, you didn't go from like, you know, being on, you know, never doing comedy to being on the biggest stage in the world. It's like doing the tiny little things and just doing the next right thing to get you where you want to go. That's 100%. I, I agree with that. That's exactly how I feel that I have navigated my entire life, including cancer, you know, just, just get, 
to the next thing. And, and for me, another, uh, another thing that always been in my life is fun. Try to have fun doing whatever it is you're doing, whether you're starting a new business, whether you're, uh, you know, playing basketball, doing comedy. The second I stop having fun in whatever I'm doing, it suffers. It's not as good. Yeah. And so I've always tried to have that theme. Uh, you know, someone asked me recently about, did I set goals in uh, sports as I was coming up through, um, uh, from a kid through college? And I said, you know, really? I didn't. I was so busy having fun. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that there was somewhere else to go with it. You know, yeah. When I was growing up, I was just having fun. And I always noticed in my comedy, the bits that I do that do the best are the ones that make me laugh, are the ones that when I'm having the most fun, then the audience has the fun with me. And so I, I just think that that always still needs to be very important to people to enjoy what you're doing and not to be so stressed out that you, you know, about jumping over the cliff that you can't enjoy the moments of getting there. I'm literally sitting here writing down is it's so easy to, to get caught up in like the minutia of the day to day and what should I be doing next? And what's the perfect thing to do? And I, everything has to be so strategic, but in reality, like, I think I look at your career and I'm so amazed because you have done so many things and you have overcome these obstacles, but I, you know, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, how much of it is just you pursuing what you were passionate about? Well, I think that definitely factors in. And I, I really, you know, I don't know where that comes from. I always joke that, um, you know, my dad worked at the same job for 40 years. And in 40 years, he only missed three days work. Whew. I did not get that gene. <laughs> You're like, that was not, that was not for me, but. <laughs> yeah, my brother got that gene, but I did not. But the truth of the matter is, I am a worker bee. But what I didn't get was the willingness to work at a job that I didn't love for that amount of time. So I don't know if that means I'm spoiled or what it means. But from, <laughs> no, from I, the, I love that, though, because I think it, it speaks to a certain level of, of not being willing to compromise yourself. And I, I know that's everyone, you know, it's hard when you're trying to deal with your family and finances and, and just life in general, like the, the, the urge can be to just compromise or settle. But I think not doing that is, is valuable. And especially, I mean, look at where it's taken you. It really is. And, and I've always, I always feel that I have done that right out of college. I accepted a job that uh, was for health benefits and I hated it. And I, um, I, I worked there a year and I, I left. I mean, I just could not do that. And my parents at the, at that time could not believe I was giving up this job that had great benefits, but I have just never been able to see myself doing something I hated for an extended period of time. I mean, there's no doubt. Sometimes you just have to pay a bill, right. but you know, there's always going to be something on the horizon for me that's going to feed my soul. That's a great piece of advice too, is, is looking for the next opportunity. Because I think that's, you know, another thing that I'll hear is, oh, well, I can't leave my job right now, or I can't, you know, make this career shift right now. And it doesn't have to be at that particular second. But like you said, you know, maybe looking at it more temporary, not having it be this forever thing of I'm just going to settle for whatever is good enough, but really pursuing what you're actively hoping or wanting to do from a, a passion standpoint. 
Exactly. And plus it affects your joy level. If you just reside yourself to, I can't ever get out of this. This is just what I've got to do. Yeah. Where if you think this is temporary, I'm going to pay the bills here right now, but uh, I'm going to be working for over here. Then that, that uh, energizes you again. And it gives you something, you have to have something to look forward to. Right. So, you know, that's, that's my belief anyway. Yeah. And I wonder too, just from your perspective, what the biggest piece of advice is that you would give to anyone who's struggling or facing a challenge, whether it's life, career, whatever, because I think your attitude is incredible and I'm sure people want to know how they, how they can get more like you, but but realistically how they can, you know, have that positive perspective and just any advice that you have, I think people would love to hear. You know, that's something that's been so important to me in my life is to surround myself with people who are of good energy, who are smart, who believe that anything is possible if you work for it. You know, you can't surround yourself with people who think you got to stay where you are. You can't do that. You got to have health insurance, whatever it is. I mean, we all need health insurance. I don't mean that, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not, that, not to only, yes. Surround yourself yeah, with people who are willing to have the minimum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, and with, with going through cancer or anything, you know, I always, I love friends and uh, the, the TV show. And I would put on an episode of Friends when I need, when I felt really down and needed to laugh. So we have to take responsibility for our own life and what we, the energy we choose to allow into our space. And there were times when, you know, people would call and want to stop by and see me when I was uh, going through chemo and some people I would let, and sometimes I would have to say, I'm sorry, I'm just not up for visitors today because I knew that person would end up having a negative effect. The energy that you surround yourself with is something that people don't even talk about enough because we all have that friend, or at least I do, uh, who it's, it's, it's a little bit of like a Debbie Downer type of attitude. And I yeah. think it's, it's okay to have those people in your life, but those can't be your primary points of contact. No, and you have to have the other people. We all have the Debbie Downer person and they look to you to lift them up. But you can't just always be lifting someone else up. You've got to have people that uh, are on the same uh, in on the same plane with you in terms of uh, the energy, the belief, the uh, the getter doneers. Not these people that are always sitting back and complaining. I can't I can't have that around. <laughs> I, I hear that. I'm like being a little more positive. Yeah. I mean, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your story and your your mindset kind of perspective because. I think for so many people, that is the ultimate obstacle is getting out of their own way, coming up with a perspective that's not quite so negative. I know I struggle with that. I know a lot of people do. So thank you again for coming on. And if people want to find more about you, see some of your comedy, your TED Talk, where's the best place to find you? Uh, KarenMills.com. You can, um, and then of course my YouTube channel is uh, Karen Mills Comedy. Amazing. Thank you so much, Karen. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Danny. It was a pleasure talking to you. You too. What an amazing conversation. Karen is just unbelievable. Her perspective on life really blows my mind. And I took some notes that I wanted to share with all of you during this chat that we had. One of the main takeaways that I had, I don't know about you guys, but for me was don't fear what's next. I just love that attitude and that perspective. Life will always throw curveballs at you. Things will always change in life. That's almost like a given. But how do you just overcome that fear? And I think for Karen and something that I want to implement into my life 
is to be a little bit more open to challenges, to be a little bit more willing to embrace them. I mean, I love what she talks about as far as finding the humor in tragedy. And yes, of course, it's okay to grieve when negative things happen, but to find a way to uplift yourself, to reframe that situation allows you to let go of some of the fear that comes with change. Another thing that we talked about that I loved is you're not stuck. Even if you're in a situation that you don't love, it's not forever. And it's okay to temporarily settle in order to work towards your goal. Forever settling is not okay, but temporarily staying where you are, knowing that something is coming and that you have something to look forward to is crucial. And above all, this is one of my favorite things that we talked about, surround yourself with people that have good energy. I've made some major shifts in my life, especially in the past you know, four or five months with quarantine and coronavirus, and I moved. And making the changes to spend more time engaging, even if it's virtually, with people who inspire me, with people who have good positive attitudes, helps you change your own attitude. I mean, really, it is part of the reason that I started this podcast. I wanted to talk to people who had incredible gifts, incredible perspectives and strength and had overcome obstacles because I find that when those are the people that I'm engaging in conversation with on a regular basis, I'm more willing to push myself, to challenge myself, to work hard. So look at your inner circle. You know, people always say you're being impacted by the five people that you're closest to. So look at who those people are. Are those people that you want to emulate or are those people who might be slowing you down? doesn't mean you can't have them in your life, but start potentially being more specific about who you spend your time with. Karen is just, I can't emphasize it enough, such a wonderful person to talk to. Make sure you check her out at Karen Mills Comedy on Instagram. KarenMills.com is her website. She's just an awesome, wonderful woman. And of course, you already know what I'm going to say. If you enjoyed today's episode of Gifted, please, please, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me out. You can also find us on Instagram at Gifted Podcast. Feel free to message me, DM me, let me know what your favorite part of the episode was, or you can email me, giftedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next Tuesday.